Brother Bryce, thank you for leading us in worship this morning. I thank God for you, and I celebrate the gifts that God has put into you. Praise God. Looking forward to more of that. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Oh, boy. A lot of birthdays around Strong Tower these days. Uh, if you've had a birthday, maybe today, or you have one last week, or you have one coming this week, could you just raise your hand? A birthday, a birthday. Three up top. Okay. Anybody down low? Okay. All right. Three up top. Well, happy birthday. Happy birthday to anybody, everybody. Um, is there anyone here? who has had a spiritual birthday. You've been born again. Let me see you raise your hand. You've been born again. You've been born again. Oh, come on now, come on now. Did I catch you off guard? You've been born again. Oh, let me ask this way. Is there a believer in the house today? Huh? How's that? Anybody believe in Jesus? My God, woo! <laughs> because um, there's an old saying, if you've been born once, you're gonna die twice. But if you've been born twice, you'll only die once. If that, because he might come today. Wouldn't it be all right if he came today? Wouldn't it be all right? Now, I know some of us got plans for later in the year. Like getting married. Like My daughter's like, I love Jesus, but can he come back a little later? You know what I'm saying? Because uh, that's how it was when we got married. Some, somebody spiritual came up to me right before we got married. And was like, man, wouldn't it be nice if Jesus came back tonight? I, I, I hope he could wait a little bit so I can get married. But anyway, thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Uh, got good news for you. The uh, Juneteenth weekend is coming up this coming weekend, and the gala is Friday night, and the gala is sold out. So that's good news. Good news. And then Saturday uh, from 10 to 4 on the square in the city of Franklin, there will be uh, dozens of vendors and food trucks and there will be music and celebration as we get together to celebrate the fact that uh, African enslaved people were set free in 1865. At least those on the plantation in Galveston, Texas uh, got the word. Uh, almost two and a half years after the Emancipation Proclamation went into effect in 1863, uh, those slaves in Texas got the word. And so since then, black people around the country, as well as other folks, have joined us in celebrating our freedom from the shackles of bondage. Uh, because on July 4th, we weren't independent. The colonies may have declared their independence against Britain, but we were still enslaved as a people. So the country celebrates an independence on July 4th, but many black people around the country, starting in Galveston, Texas, celebrate our freedom as a people uh, from slavery. So there'll be a great time on that day. And then on Sunday, we've invited the community to come to our church. So, uh, so we're gonna host folks next week. So I don't know how many there will be, but I know that you will love on them and encourage them. Uh, as best you can. So it's going to be a great time. Amen. All right, if you have your Bibles, would you turn to Genesis chapter 3? Today is the final message in our um, series on Genesis 1 through 3, Gleaning from the Garden. Today is our final message. 
And we're entitling this message, One Tree. One Tree. So let's pray. Father, I can't get over the lyrics of the first song where we sang, heaven will fight for us. Heaven will fight for us. Because, Father, we were born into a spiritual war, a war between the forces of darkness and the forces of light. If you will, Satan versus you and your throne really isn't a fight. But we thank you that although men have been at war with fallen angels, also known as demons, causing us even to be at war with one another and at war with ourselves, I thank you, Jesus, that you are the great emancipator. You are the great liberator and freedom fighter. You are the one who came to set us free free from that fall, free from that fight, but also, Lord, free from the battle that rages within each and every one of us as we yield to your spirit every day throughout the day. We thank you that victory is in Jesus, and because of him, we are overcomers. We're on the winning side, not because of anything we've done, but only because of your grace that you selected us, chose us, and raised us to be with Christ, seated in heavenly places. We say thank you that we're not fighting for the victory because the victory's been won. We're fighting from a place of being victorious. We thank you, God. As Bryce read from Romans chapter 8, that nothing, 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 nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. We can stand here today free and whole and well by faith. We thank you that perfect love casts out fear. So, Lord, may your love, which is perfect, cast out any fear that we have of performance-based acceptance, uh, legalism, anything we try to do to earn favor, realizing that we can't earn favor, we can only receive favor. So help us today, Lord, to sit under the teaching of the word. Lord, wash us with the word. Fill us, Lord, with boldness because of the word. Lord, touch our mind to think strategically as believers. Help me, help me, help me, help me to preach and teach your word whereby your people can gain understanding. And Holy Spirit, give us all the grace and the desire to live the things that we're going to hear today. I'm so glad, Jesus, again, you suited up and you won this fight. We praise you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. One tree. One tree. Well, I'll begin this message with some good news. The good news is that God is working on your behalf. The good news is that God sees you, God hears you, the Father loves you, and he's working on your behalf. Jesus said in John chapter 5, verse 17, he said, my father is always working, and so am I. There's not a time that God is not working, that God is not present, that God is not able. 
He's always working. And Jesus said, and so am I. And when he made that statement, he was basically declaring that I am as eternal as the Father. And I am as omnipotent and able as the Father. And the crowd who heard him then understood that he was making a claim of deity. And therefore, that was one of the things they put on the list for why they wanted to kill the Lord because a mere man was claiming equality to God because he was saying that just as the Father is working, I'm working too. And Jesus is working in your life. He's working in your circumstances. He's working in your failures, working all things together for good because he knows you love him and you're called according to his purpose. He's he's working. And I love when we sing that song some Sundays, Even when I don't see it, he's working. Even when I don't feel him, he's working. He never stops. He never stops working. So he's working today in your circumstance. The enemy wants you to think that God is not working it out for you. That's the good news. Yes, he is. But there's also some bad news. Because just as much as God is working, the devil is working too. The Bible says in 1 Peter 5, 8, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, like a roaring lion, walks about seeking whom he may devour. So he's working that he might devour us with fear, that he might devour us with trepidation and and, and, and anxiety. But that's why the Bible comes along in the same chapter and says, Cast your anxiety upon the Lord. Why? Because he cares for you. Because the enemy wants us to think that God doesn't care because we're going through things that cause us to be anxious. So in the midst of spiritual warfare, we must remember that, yeah, the devil is working, but God is working too. And God will even use the devil because as Martin Luther, the great reformer, once said, Yeah, the devil is real, but the devil is God's devil. He can't do anything without God's permission. And so the one who tells the waters in the book of Job, this far you may come and no further, is the same one who tells the enemy, not today, Satan, or this far you may come in the life of Chris Williamson, but no further. Because we know the thief has come to kill, to steal, and to destroy. But Jesus said, I have come that my sheep may have life and have life more abundantly. Yeah, the devil might be a lion that's roaring, but Jesus is the lion from the tribe of Judah. The devil is a counterfeit. Everything God does, he tries to do. And everything God is, he tries to be. But I'm not going to let a fallen devil ruin my joy and my experience of walking with God in the earth. Now, 2 Corinthians chapter 2 Verse 11 in the New International Version says this, in order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. Again, spiritual warfare. The battle has been won, but the battle still rages on. The enemy has not accepted defeat, and like a sniper, he has moved back into the trees, and he's trying to pick off any and all of us as he can. So we need to be mindful that there are schemes of the enemy. And one of Satan's schemes 
is to get us to become occupied, preoccupied. Let me say that again. One of Satan's schemes, we're not ignorant of his schemes, one of his schemes is to get us humans to become preoccupied. Let me say it this way. Satan is preoccupied with you and I being preoccupied. He wants us distracted. He doesn't want us seeking first the kingdom of God and God's righteousness. He wants us preoccupied with other things. He doesn't want us to set our affections on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. He wants us preoccupied. He doesn't want us occupied with heaven, the eternal things. He wants us preoccupied with temporal things and earthly things and things we can see as opposed to things and the one that we cannot see. Because it's a spiritual walk. But we can't live a spiritual life focusing on the natural. But the enemy wants us to be preoccupied with the natural. So he will use fear. He will use guilt. Be preoccupied with yourself. Be preoccupied with your sin. He wants us to be preoccupied with death, with desire, circumstances. He wants us to be preoccupied with our appetites, the things that we crave in our flesh, in our bodies. He wants us preoccupied with problems and needs. And how about this? And politics and people. He wants us preoccupied with anything and anyone but God. So he comes to deceive. He comes to distract. He comes to get our focus off the Lord. But he also comes to get us to be preoccupied with that one tree, that one tree. If I can get you to look at that one tree, I got you. But today, Lord, give us truth that we may know how to counter this scheme. Genesis chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. If you have it, can you say amen? Amen. amen. If you don't have it, look to the screen. Genesis chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. Now, the serpent. I got to stop right there. Because as we embark in chapter 3, Adam and Eve have just come out of their honeymoon in chapter 2. And how many know that after you've had a mountaintop experience, here comes the devil to try to bring you down? Now, the serpent. And we're going to see, he's going to do some talking in chapter 3. But if we back up to chapter 2 when Adam was created, Adam does a lot of talking in chapter 2. Because if you read Genesis 1, God does a lot of talking first. God said, and it was. Let there be. God said, and it was. And so when he said, let us make man in our own image, and in the image of God, he made man, male and female. He made them. By being made in the image of God means that men and women can do things that animals can't do, and that is have comprehension and speak and talk. And so being made in the image of God 
Adam has an opportunity in chapter 2 to be like God, and that is to name things. Because God said, let there be, and he called uh, uh, the greater light, uh, uh, you know, the sun, the lesser light, the moon. He, he's speaking, he's speaking, and so he's showing his authority and his dominion over the things he's just created. So he's allowing man, now you name the animals. And whatever Adam called the animals, that's what they were. He's speaking in chapter 2. He's exercising his authority. He's acting like his creator because when we created, all of us are creative. We use that ability to name things. But oh, in chapter 3, homeboy wasn't talking at all. So something happened. It wasn't the cat who got his tongue. <laughs> the serpent got his tongue. What would have happened if Adam just wasn't quiet at this crucial moment? But oh my, he was quiet, he was quiet. Adam, men, leaders, not talking to the women right now, but, but men, brothers, when you use your voice, you use your power. When you choose to be silent, you give over your power. When you use your voice, you're acting like you're God. But when you are silent, you're acting like a coward. That's why some men have trouble worshiping and exclaiming with their mouths. Because the enemy comes to try to take your praise. That's why the, Lord, the Bible says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. So when we start blessing the Lord, the atmosphere shifts. And when men lift up their hands to God in prayer and praise, something happens in the atmosphere. But when men stay silent, oh, when men are no more for fussing and cussing in their home, as opposed to praising and blessing and giving thanks, our tongues are powerful. In them are life and death. And Adam chose to remain silent in chapter 3. Now the serpent. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. Cunning means crafty, subtle. This angelic spirit that had fallen to become chief of demons, inhabited an animal. A, an animal with some kind of legs and an ability to creep and to crawl because later God is going to curse this animal and say, on your belly you shall go. So before that, it had some kind of legs and arms, saying all that to say that this thing that's going to overtake Adam's family right now, the Lord gave him authority over as well as Eve. Because God says you will have dominion over every creeping thing. So you're letting something that's fallen take authority over your home. Let's put it like this. Adam and Eve, from a physical standpoint, were constitutionally inferior to the devil who was a fallen angel who was once in the very presence of God. So constitutionally, they were naturally inferior to them. They, they, they didn't have the power that the devil had. But when they chose, or if they would have chose, I should say, to submit to the Most High One who's superior over all, the inferior one would have been superior to this fallen angel had they submitted to God. Uh, I don't think it's coming through. Let me try to say it another way. 
The devil has more power than you and me. But when we submit to the power of God that is in us and over us, greater is he that is in us than anything that is in the world. But the devil has his way when we don't submit to God and do things God's way. So I am constitutionally inferior to Satan. But when I submit to to God, I have more authority than Satan. So the issue is, who do we submit to? But if we get up and we don't submit to God, and as Christians we live like practical atheists or agnostics who, there might be a God, I don't know. And sometimes as Christians, that's how we live. We act like we don't need help from God. Jesus says, I'm going to send you help, the Holy Spirit. But how, much, how many times do we rely on him versus just getting up trying to do this stuff in our own strength every day? Devil ain't afraid of you. But when we submit, my, when we're broken, and when we say, Lord, have mercy, Lord, fill this empty vessel, power comes. And when the power comes, we can't get too proud when the power comes and we're able to see God do some things in our lives because God works it this way. He creates Adam and Eve, or Adam rather from the dust of the ground. Eve comes from his side, which means she's also dust. But he breathes into man the breath of life. He becomes a living being. So God combines dirt with the divine. So that when the dirt does something, it can't act like it did it, did it because it, it, it did it on its own. Dirt did it because it had help with the divine. So don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. But man, think high. I'm made in the image of God. Dirt combined with the divine. And Paul says later in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we're jars of clay. But this all-surpassing power from God has been placed in these jars of clay so the excellence of the power may be from God and not from us. So any good thing that comes from me or through me is because of the grace and the power of God in my life. Only if Adam and Eve had realized whose they were, they could have responded differently in this situation. But forget them, what about me? If I realize whose I am, this is why I must renew my mind so that I don't be conformed to the image of this world. Uh, Romans chapter 12, uh, 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 I beseech you, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to the image of this world, but be transformed, transformed by the renewing of your mind. Y'all gonna make me renew my mind up in here, up in here. Y'all gonna make me renew my mind. Up in here, up in here. Oh, it's the mind. As a man thinks, so is he. So if the devil can get you to think in a twisted way, you'll live in a twisted way. And we got to recognize his schemes. We got to see his schemes. Because in the Garden of Eden, Satan used five schemes. The first one was that he disregarded established order. He disregarded established order. What was the established order? Man and woman were equal in the sight of God. God manifested them at different times and in different ways to establish order in the home. He brought forth Adam first to establish order in the home. 
But who did the devil come to first? He didn't come to the one that God established as the leader of the home. He came to Eve. He subverted the order because it says in verse 1, and he said to the woman. Now, I know that today it's not popular to, to, to go expositional into the word and talk about what the word says because it doesn't jive with today's philosophies and things in the culture. And we also know that Christians have misused this kind of teaching whereby men browbeat women and all those kinds of things. But, but listen, the word is true. And if we follow what God says, there is a particular blessing that will follow us that may not follow us if we do things our own way. And so God established order, Satan disregarded order, and he came to the woman. Now, now he did that on purpose. That wasn't an accident. Again, this is a scheme. And many times Satan will try to disrespect proper authority to create chaos in a situation. Mm, I wish I could chase it, but I got a long way to go. Another thing he did was that he questioned God's word. That's the scheme. He came to the woman in verse 1, and he said, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Strong Tower, hear me clearly. The first four recorded words of Satan in the Bible were, Has God indeed said? King James, uh, did God really say? So the first time you hear the devil talk, he's questioning the truth and the veracity of God's word. Hmm. Because he's a liar from the beginning. He's questioning the truth of God's word. He's questioning what God has said. Thirdly, he emphasized restriction instead of freedom. Because he said, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? So he's emphasizing restriction because when God gave the command to Adam, who was then to give it to his wife once she came, God commanded the man. And God said in Genesis chapter two, verse 16, and the Lord God commanded the man saying, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. Then God gives a restriction, but of this tree you shall not eat. God says you're free. God created us to be free. God saved us to be free. It is for freedom that Jesus has set us free. For whom the Son sets free is free indeed. God wants us to be free, but the devil comes and he emphasizes restriction. He doesn't talk about freedom. He talks about what they can't do. Has God said that you can't do this? And then he comes along and he minimized the consequences. Because as they dialogue in verse 2, the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. God never said anything about you can't touch it. Verse 4, then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. So he's minimizing the consequences of disobedience. That's not going to hurt you. That's not going to kill you. That's not going to destroy you. But then he tempted them to be God. Verse 5, 
For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Newsflash, Adam and Eve, you were already like God because you were made in the image of God. Animals weren't, fish weren't, birds weren't, humans were made in the image of God. The ability to communicate with God, uh, uh, the, the ability... Uh, to reflect God. You guys are made in the image of God. So you're already like God. So what's this temptation really saying? Here. Satan's temptation basically said to Adam and Eve, eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because you ought to be sufficient and you ought to be independent. Eat from this tree right here, the one that God said don't eat from. Eat from this tree because you ought to be sufficient and you ought to be independent. Pastor, what do you mean? Well, you ought to be sufficient, Adam and Eve. What he's saying is that what God gave you is not enough. You're insufficient. The way he made you is not enough. You need more. You need something else. I'm here to tell you. You're insufficient. You need this tree. God wants to keep you from what you want. God is holding out on y'all. You need to be, you ought to be sufficient because right now y'all are insufficient. But not only did he tempt them with being sufficient, he also tempted them with being independent. In other words, you don't need restrictions. You don't need commands. You ought to be free to do whatever you want, whenever you want. Not only that, you don't need to be accountable to anyone. You don't need God. You are God. You are God. Which is the very same thing Satan fell from heaven with. A desire to be the most high. God gave Satan or Lucifer a throne, but that was not enough for him. He had to try to ascend up and beyond the throne of God. And God shares his glory with no one. You can read about it in Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28. God cast him from heaven. He falls to earth and he tempts Adam and Eve with the very same thing he fell from, and that is the desire to be God, watch this, or the desire to be independent of God. I don't care about God. I am God. And the devil don't have to come to you in a red suit, a pajama suit with a pitchfork to give you that lie. So he has schemes. He's very subtle, very crafty. And his schemes centered around one tree, the knowledge of the good and evil. Knowledge of good and evil. Listen to this, y'all. Satan came to get Adam and Eve preoccupied. Don't miss this. With the one tree they could not have. The one tree they did not need, and the one tree that would kill them. He came and got them to be preoccupied with the one tree 
that they did not need, the one tree they could not have, and the one tree that would kill them. This is the one tree scheme. And he's been running this scheme since the Garden of Eden. Let me break it down to you. I asked the question, how should Adam and Eve have handled this situation? Because as he came with this scheme to get them to focus on the one tree they did not need, the one tree they could not have, and the one tree that would kill them, how could they, how should they have countered this scheme? Better yet, how should we handle when the enemy comes to us talking about the one thing that we do not have and the one thing we think we need and that one thing that will probably kill us if we pursue. How do we handle it? Well, I got a couple things from the text and I'll take my seat. Number one, we got to recognize what's going on. Number two, we got to recognize how blessed we are. Number three, we got to recognize how to fight spiritually. I said we got to recognize what's going on. We got to recognize how blessed we are, and we got to recognize how to fight spiritually. I would tell you to turn to your neighbor and say you better recognize, but I ain't going to do that yet. We, 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 we still coming through. I ain't going to tell you to turn to your neighbor yet. Give me a couple more weeks, but you'd better recognize. First point, recognize what's going on. Adam and Eve in that moment, should have recognized something was going on. They were both naive and Adam was silent, but they should have recognized something out of the ordinary is going on right now. In other words, I'm in the midst of a test. There's a scheme being aimed at us. This serpent is talking to us, trying to get us to turn on God and turn away from God. And, and they should have recognized this is a scheme. And when we're in tests, temptations that come from the enemy, we ought to have the wherewithal to say, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Time out. I'm in a test. Something's going on right now that's funky. Hold on, let me catch my breath and breathe. Let me pray. Something my antenna is detecting and discerning that I am in a test because the Bible says we're not ignorant of his schemes. We're not unaware of his devices. So when we're in something, the Holy Spirit is saying, beep, 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 beep. Something is going on here. Oh, when I was growing up, there would be this thing that would come on the radio. Sometimes it would come on television and it was from the emergency broadcast system. And they would say, this is a what? Test. And for the next 60 seconds, and then all you hear is, And they're checking with, you know, people in the area, you know, through the radio and, and all that stuff to make sure there are no emergencies out there. But they come up and they tell you, this is a test. And I have to believe the Holy Spirit in us warns us and says to us, Chris, you are in a test right now. But will you submit to me? 
Will you slow down enough to let me speak to your mind and your heart and regulate your emotions, or are you just going to act naturally and fly off the handle? Again, submit to the Spirit of God. You can resist the devil and he will flee. That's the book right there. James chapter 4. Submit to God. Don't jump out there in your own strength. It's a test. So recognize what's going on. Recognize that Satan wants you to be preoccupied with the one thing in your life that's not going well right now. He don't have to use a tree. He can just talk about the fact that, you know, uh, you've been unemployed for a minute now. God don't care about you. You know you haven't been able to find a house. You, you know this. This is going on in your life. That one thing that we stop praying about and we start stressing about and we start getting anxious over that one thing and he wants you preoccupied with that. Some of you can't even pay attention to the word right now because that one thing is all up on you. And we make an idol. We put a God before God. Small G before the big G. We put it before God. And it overwhelms us. It consumes us. When he should be the one overwhelming us. He should be the one consuming us. But that one thing, that one thing. And it's just a reminder of we don't control anything. Which is why we got to live by faith. In the one who's fighting for me. My God, help me, Lord. Satan wants you to be preoccupied with that one person who get on your last nerve. Yeah, yeah. That one person, that one person. Because what he wants you to do, I, I'm going to get a little ahead of myself. I, I'm, I'm going to give you a little bit. Because if you focus on the one thing, you miss all these other things that God is doing. If you focus on that one person that has negative stuff to say about you, you miss all of these other people that have great things to say about you. In my early years, man, I'd get emails. I still get them now. I get letters. And I've learned. I thank God I've grown. Because in my early years, I would waste a lot of time with the one person, man, who went up one side, down the other, was rude to me, and all that stuff. And I would miss all the other letters and cards that encouraged me and blessed me. And I'm focusing on this one. And my peace is gone. And God is like, come on, man. You, you, you got to grow through the one tree syndrome. Or, I'm going to tell myself again. When this one family leaves the church, I'm sad about the one family that left the church and I'm overlooking all the families that God has still kept under my care. And I'm getting distracted. Oh, I'm sad. I'm mad. I'm moved. Maybe something's wrong with me. God is like, no, they're my sheep, not yours. I lead them where I want to lead them and it's time for them to leave up out of here. Negro, let them go. They ain't yours. You see, I'm trying to grow. I ain't playing. I'm trying to grow. Because I'm tired of the one tree, the one thing, the one person. Or Satan wants you to be preoccupied with the one tree that somebody else got. Oh, yeah, yeah. See, I ain't playing this morning. That one tree that somebody else got. 
And I believe Brother Isaiah said it a couple weeks ago, social media sets us up to think that everybody's grass is greener on the other side of your phone or your computer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It sets us up because what people do on social media, they only show you the highlight reel. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh-huh. When you watch certain players and, and they put their highlights together, man, they look awesome. But don't nobody put a low light reel together. Let me show you the brother fumbling the ball. Let me show you the brother throwing an intercept. Let me show you the brother getting knocked out in the ring. I got this Mike Tyson thing, and I like watching him, all his highlights. He's knocking people out. But the one that ain't on there is when Buster Douglas knocked him out. What's not on there is when he biting Evander Holyfield's ears. That's low-light stuff. But all this other stuff, man, look at that. And social media, you're looking at that stuff. Wow, look at them. Look at them. No, buddy. Mm -mm, It ain't real. But we end up coveting. We end up comparing. And I want to let you know that covetousness and comparison is the enemy to contentment. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Covetousness and comparison is the enemy to contentment. Because as I'm looking at what you got, now I'm not content with what I got. When I look at who you uh, try to portray who you are, I'm not, not now content in who I am in Christ. And it's a game, it's a game. Can I let you know it happened to King Saul? In 1 Samuel chapter 18, after they come, David comes from killing Goliath, the Bible says, In verse, let's see here, seven. So the women sang as they danced and said, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. Then Saul was angry and the saying displeased him. And he said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands and to me they have ascribed only thousands. Now, what more can he have but the kingdom? So Saul eyed David from that day forward. He eyed him. In other words, he looked at him funny. He he had an eye of jealousy and a lie of contempt because Paul was not content. What he should have said was, man, look at the warrior that I have on my side. Look at the guy that's in my army. Yeah, man. Instead, homeboy was insecure. And he looked at this young shepherd boy and was threatened by him. And he said, he's got 10,000s, I've got only thousands. What you should have said was, I got only thousands. Praise God, I got something. I I got only thousands. And he should have 10,000s because he was the one who went down there and fought Goliath when I should have went because I was qualified to go. I was the king. I'm taller than everybody around here. If I had gone, they'd have been singing about me 10,000. But since I didn't go, man, he should be heralded that way. And I should be content, content, content with my thousands. You ever go over to somebody's house, they get a new house. Felicia just got a new house. Praise the Lord. But, But hey, man, thank you, Jesus. But some of us insecure folk, We're going to go to the house blessing in the house wall and look around and see how her sink is better than our sink. (laughs) Her bathroom is 
better than our bathroom, and we can't even be happy for somebody because we're so discontent in our contempt. My God, that's, that, that's the one tree comparison. But secondly, recognize how blessed you are. Here we go. How do I defeat this one tree thing? Well, well recognize you're in a test and recognize how blessed you are. The word blessed is Barak. Oh, several years ago, that might have got a shoe thrown at me. But the word Barak, it means divine favor has been placed on you. Barak. Praise. It's, it's the word that we also use back to God. We Barak God. We, we praise God. We bestow honor upon God. But first, God bestows honor on man when he, according to Genesis 1.28, blessed them. He barocked them. Adam and Eve were blessed. And when God blesses you, can't no devil curse you. Nah, I should have got more of an amen. Uh, when, when, when God has blessed you, Remember when Israel's enemies tried to hire Balaam to curse the Israelites? Balaam said, I can't curse those people because God has blessed those people. I can't curse who God has blessed. And guess what? If you're a Christian, you are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms through Christ Jesus. And the devil can't curse a child of God because a child of God is blessed. And not only that, Christ took our curse, Galatians 3, on the cross. Cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree. He took the curse for us so that we could take the blessing from God. That's why generational sins are broken when a Christian says, I love God and I'm going to keep his commandments. We don't know who we are. Adam and Eve were blessed. If you know Jesus, you're blessed. You're blessed. Adam and Eve had every fruit-bearing tree in the garden to eat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I just got to let you see something here. Genesis 2.16. God blessed them. He, he gave them gifts that they did not ask for, gifts that they did not deserve. He blessed them. Uh, the Bible says, and the Lord God commanded the man saying, of every tree of the garden, you may freely Eat. Of every tree of the garden, of the garden, of the garden, you may freely eat. So God says, I want you to be fruitful and multiply. Man, I created all this stuff for you to enjoy as you enjoy me. Enjoy these blessings. They had every tree in the garden but one. And the devil came and said, let's talk about that one that you can't have. Let's talk about that one that you don't need. And let's talk about that one that'll kill you. Oh, Chris, I blessed you with a wonderful woman. Oh, with a wonderful woman. But look at that fine thing over there. That fine thing that you don't need. That fine thing that you cannot have. And that fine thing, if you go in, it'll kill you. The one tree, the one tree. Blessed, blessed. Adam and Eve not only had the trees in the garden. Oh, this blesses my soul. Not only did they have the trees in the garden, but they had every fruit-bearing tree on the entire planet to eat from. Oh, it went right over your head. I'm going to say it again. He said, I'm going to give you all the trees in the garden. Man, you're free to eat all of them. But we cannot forget chapter 1, verse 11. 
Then God said, let the earth bring forth grass, the herb that yields seed, and the fruit tree that yields fruit according to its kind, whose seed is in itself on the earth. And so it was. Now remember, God created all that stuff, and then he gave Adam and Eve dominion over the earth. So you not only had dominion and access to all the trees in the garden, but you had dominion and access to all the trees on the planet. But it doesn't end there. Verse 29 of chapter 1, and God said, see, I have given you every herb tree that yields seed, which is on the face of all the earth and every tree whose fruit yields seed. To you it shall be for food. So he gave them all the trees on the earth, not just the trees in the garden. We only think about the trees in the garden. But man, what about the trees on all of the earth? So dig this. There are approximately 3.4 trillion trees on the earth today. 3.4 trillion trees. That means there are enough trees for each person on the planet to have 422 trees of their own. How many trees you got in your yard? I know it ain't 422. Unless you live on some acreage somewhere. God says, uh, I've given you an abundance of trees. Why are you focusing on this one thing? Why have you become preoccupied with this one thing over here? When I have blessed you, I've opened up the windows of heaven and poured out trees. You don't even have room enough in your yard. But if he can preoccupy us, if, if he can get our eyes off of the Lord... We'll miss how blessed we are. Man, if you're breathing, you're br blessed. <laughs> if you can feel, you're blessed. If you can see, even with glasses, you're blessed. My neighbor across the street has been having back problems. He, he used to be one who took care of his yard. It was immaculate, and he played golf all the time, but his back went out. And yesterday I saw him walking down the street. I said, man, how you doing? And he was hunched over. He had the machine walking. He says, man, you know, I'm making it. And I said to him, I said, you know what, man? But at least you're walking. Because I had to help get a brother a little perspective. At least you're walking. You might not be able to play golf right now, but at least you're walking. Because somebody's testimony is that they can't walk. But it's a shame when somebody who can't walk got more joy than the people who can walk. Oh, it got quiet. In everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Man, when I start thanking God, when I think about Jesus and all he's done for me, when I think about Jesus and how he set me free, I can start dancing. But when I'm just thinking about what I don't have and what's not going right and how I'm not blessed with this, I forget that I'm blessed with that. Count your blessings one by one. Count your blessings and see what God has done. Thirdly and finally, recognize how to fight spiritually. There it is. Recognize how to fight spiritually. In the book of Matthew, before Jesus began his earthly ministry, after the baptism, the Holy Spirit leads him into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And the devil comes at him with three attacks. 
the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. He has three devices, three pitches that he gives over to Jesus and he gives over to us. Jesus withstood every one of those, which gives us the example and the power to do the same as his children. But one of the ways Jesus stood was that he stood on the word. But I got to say something, though. Two of those temptations, the Bible says that the devil took Jesus somewhere. He took him up to the top of a mountain. He, he took him up to the top of the temple. So Jesus allowed himself to be taken because the devil took him. So why don't we take the devil somewhere? You, you know, he, he won't take us and lead us astray. Let's take him, which means we've got to learn how to be spiritually aggressive as believers. Jesus was lamb, but he was also lion. We don't have to always be lamb and just give in to the slaughter. Man, sometimes it's time to roar and let it be known. I'm standing, man. So, so let's take Satan to the word, first off. If we're going to fight spiritually, we're going to take this sucker somewhere. Let's take him to the word, how about we take them to Genesis 3.15 where the gospel was preached in the Old Testament that when the first family fell, the Lord stood for them. When God says, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. That's the gospel in the Old Testament. Jesus is going to suffer in order to free us, but his suffering will be a heel suffering, but the devil's suffering will be a head blow. Have a Bible study with the devil. He, he won't lie to you. Tell some truth to him. Sit down with him and say, you're playing with my mind. You're trying to bring up my past. You're trying to make me afraid. Man, let me open up this word, and I'm going to read this word out loud. Devil, have you heard Genesis 3.15? Devil, have you heard Colossians 2.11, where it says that Christ triumphed over you through the cross? Devil, what about Revelation chapter 20, verse 10, where it says the devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone? Devil, do we need to keep on going? Draw nigh to God through his word. God will draw nigh to you, resist the devil, and he will flee. He doesn't want to hear about his future as much as he tries to remind you about your past. You show him what his future entails. Have a Bible study with him. Take Satan to your many fruit trees. Take him to the word, but also take him to your fruit trees. Pastor, what do you mean? Well, with all those trillions of trees, there are a whole lot of variations, especially with ones that bear fruit. Here, just a few. There are apple trees, kiwi trees, lime trees, cherry trees, orange trees, tangerine trees, tangelo trees, kumquat trees, grapefruit trees, banana trees, pear trees, nectarine trees, papaya trees, pineapple trees, coconut trees, fig trees, apricot, apric uh, pomegranate trees, uh, passion fruit trees, plum trees, lemon trees. So when he's talking about that thing in your life that just ain't producing, when he's talking about that thing that God hadn't answered the prayer yet, don't let him think that that's all that's going on in your life right now. Because I got a whole bunch of other stuff in my life bearing fruit. Matter of fact, devil, let me take you over here. Watch the fruit of my family. Watch the fruit of my finances. Watch the fruit of my health. Watch the fruit of my church. Watch the fruit of what's going on in my job. I just got a promotion. Watch the fruit. Let me show you some fruit. And as far as lemons, we take lemons and turn them into lemonade around here. So let me take you to my fruit trees. And then take Satan to Calvary's tree. Yeah, 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 yeah. Take him to Calvary's tree. 
Acts 5.30 says, the God of our fathers raised up Jesus whom you murdered by hanging on a tree. You want to talk about trees? You want to talk about trees? Okay, let's talk about the tree of life that comes through Calvary's cross. Acts 10.39 calls the cross a tree of life. Acts 13.29 calls the cross of Jesus a tree of life. Galatians 3.13 says that the cross of Jesus was a tree of life. The one tree that defeated Satan once and for all is the one tree that empowers you through it all. <laughs> because had it not been for that tree, the devil tried to get Jesus, don't go to that tree. I'll give you the kingdom of the world. Don't go to that tree. Don't go to that cross. Because if you go to that cross, I'm going to get a head blow. Wounds upside my head. I'm gonna, I got to keep from getting a head blow. I, I'll give you the people without paying for him. In other words, I'll give you the crown, Jesus, without the cross. Get behind me, Satan. Jesus had to go to the cross because on the cross he shed his blood. And without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. And also based on Revelation chapter 12, verse 11, we overcome the devil by the blood of the lamb. Was it for sins that I had done? He groaned upon that tree. Amazing pity, grace unknown, and love beyond degree. At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light, and the burdens of my heart rolled away, it was there by faith I received my sight, and now I am happy all the day. Almighty cross, love lifted high, the Lord of life raised there to die. His sacrifice on Calvary has made the mighty cross a tree of life to me. When you take Satan to the cross, you're taking Satan to the blood. When you take him to the cross, Stop him also by the empty tomb and let him know who you are and whose you are. And then finally, take Satan to the tree of life. Revelation chapter 22, verses 1 through 2 says, And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb of God. In the middle of the street and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore 12 fruits each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. If you recall, the tree of life was also in the Garden of Eden, along with the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and every other fruit-bearing tree. The devil didn't come to the tree of life. He came to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But in mercy, after Adam and Eve had sinned, God put a sword around the tree of life to keep them from eating from that tree because had they eaten from that tree, they would have lived forever, perpetually in a fallen body. And God says, I got to protect them from that tree. But I love how the fact that the tree that was relinquished in Genesis chapter 3 is the tree of life that is regained in Revelation chapter 22. My God, thank you, Jesus, for bringing it around full circle. So one of Satan's schemes is to get you preoccupied with the one tree you cannot have. The one tree you do not need and the one tree 
that will kill you if you consume of it. He wants you to be consumed with the one thing that isn't happening right in your life, the one prayer that hasn't been answered, that one person that doesn't do you right, whatever. He wants you preoccupied. But when you find yourself going through, you need to recognize what's going on. You need to recognize how blessed you are. And you need to recognize how to fight spiritually for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual wickedness and principalities in high places. Oh, Lord, teach me how to fight. Well, I took a vacation with my wife a few weeks ago. And on this vacation, I didn't know I would have to deal with the one tree situation. Because while we're in Mexico, trying to get away to get some rest, get some peace. The devil didn't get the memo, and he followed us on that vacation. <laughs> yes, he did. If he didn't come, he sent one of his imps there. And we can't even vacation in peace. We walk into our room. Man, we had a safe flight over. and We get to our room. We get into our room, and there is an ironing board but no iron. Because you know, I got to iron up the clothes, make them crisp and tight and right before we go to dinner that night, but there's no iron. So I call the people and say, hey, there's no iron in our room. They say, okay, we'll get you one. But the iron never came, so we went wrinkly to our first meal. I'm too strong to let that make me mad. Next day, we go out to the pool, we come back. Oh, I got to rewind. The ironing board that was there was broken. Like, it could come up, but it wouldn't stay up. I couldn't get it to lock in place, so it would just fall. So the next day, we come into the room. There's an ironing board standing up with an iron on top. I said, thank you, Lord. So I start ironing our clothes for the next night because I'm a better ironer than my wife. She'll tell you that. I'm ironing, and... The ironing board collapses and falls on my big toe. That's what I said. Oh. So I realized they didn't replace my ironing board. They just tried to, you know, fix the old one, but it was broken. So now I'm limping to dinner that night. Next day, we get a couple's massage. We're on the couple. She's on this table. I'm on this table. They're putting the hot stones on my wife, and she's... You know, just ah, she's enjoying it. But my masseuse wants to bend my legs in a way that my legs have never been bent before. <laughs> this is my bad knee. So she bends my bad knee too far. And I don't want to say nothing because I ain't no punk. You know, I ain't no punk. I'm going to take it. She bent my knee. And then she goes to my really bad knee, which is my left leg. And she bends that too far. So I limp away from the massage. How many times you go get a massage and you limping away? My big toe, both knees are hurt. <laughs> then they got our reservations wrong at the uh, restaurants we went to. Went to one res restaurant, they told us to get there at 8 o'clock. We got there, it was dark inside, the doors were locked. I mean, just all kind of stuff was going on. The beach was not swimmable like they advertised. Seaweed everywhere. And it's the kind of seaweed that's like barbed wire. 
You can't get into the water. And so we, you know, we go down to the water like, man, all this seaweed. I'm not going out there. I'm a swimmer, but not that good. That tide to take me out, the seaweed to choke me. So, man, so again. The entertainment. They had a singing Elvis. Who had a strong Spanish accent. <laughs> I can't even remember the other stuff that went wrong. It was so much stuff that went wrong. But see, when we took our pictures, we gave y'all the highlights. You see us smiling. You don't know what we're going through. We just smiling. And one day we decide we're going out to the beach because we started complaining a little bit. So, so you know, we had the, the, the bar in your room where, where you got water and drinks in it. And so they're supposed to replace it. They didn't want replacing our stuff. Uh, they didn't give us washcloths. We didn't have soap. So all this stuff, I'm like, man, what's going on over here to a brother? You know what I'm saying? And, and we just thought we ain't going to let it take us down. You know why? Because we're together and we're away and we're looking at God's beautiful creation. So we would go down to the beach, step over the seaweed and stand on the shore and just begin to worship God and thank God and bless God. And after a while, that stuff that was making us irritated, it didn't have that power over us anymore. Because I recognized, boop, you're in a test. And I wasn't going to focus on these things that were going wrong and miss what was going right and what was going well. And so I had to say to the devil that I'm blessed in the city. I'm blessed in the field. I'm blessed when I come. I'm blessed when I go. I'm blessed in Nashville. I'm blessed in Mexico. You know why? I'm living my blessed life. Ain't going back and forth with you, devil. I'm living my best life. That I had to say that. And God turned lemons into lemonade. Baby, can I get an amen? Somebody give God some praise. I'm done. I'm done. One tree. Don't let him get you. Don't let him get you. Don't let him get you. <laughs>